Well, it is a joy to be back tonight. I asked the preacher when I saw this great crowd, you didn't tell him I was coming, did you? Uh, good to have you here tonight. Have you ever had somebody that always does something after it's too late? I meant, you know, uh, my wife does it all the time. You should have turned back there. Now, how does that help anybody? Well, Mrs. Gaddis did that to me this morning. I was standing out here on the end, no book. Y'all need to put a book out there. And uh, they were singing a song that I did not know. So I'm sitting there. You know, you, if you've been singing long enough in church, you can pick up some stuff. You just know what the next word is. And so I was trying to act like I knew what I was doing. And we got all the way down to the last part of the last verse. And she hands me a book. <laughs> That's kind of like closing the gate after the cows are gone. And uh, so uh, she tried to make up for it tonight and hand me one before we started. It didn't help because I knew all the songs tonight. So it really didn't help me at all. <laughs> oh, she's a sweetheart. I love her so much. Uh, I am enjoying being here. This, Lucas, stand up. This is my grandson. And in my opinion, this is the best and best looking guy on the planet. Uh, and uh, he's looking for a wife. And... Uh, but now before you apply, girls, he's a Webster, so he acts like me. So you might want to be very careful when you do that. Thanks, Bubba. I love that boy. He is, uh, he's something special, and uh, I'm so glad to be a part of his life, and he mine. You know, you got a lot of teenagers <clears throat> that don't like to be around their grandparents or want anybody to know, they know these old gray-haired guys. Uh, my grandson walks right up to me in public and hugs me and tells me he loves me. He's not ashamed of his papa. And I appreciate that because sometimes I'm ashamed of me. And so I, I just uh, praise God that he's not. And uh, so it's exciting to be here tonight. And uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. And uh, I, before I start, I'm going to try to preach this in a timely manner. But this one can get kind of long. <clears throat> So I'm going to tell you what Sam told me year after year after year when he preached at my church. He'd stand up and tell my people, we didn't come here to get out. We came here to get in. So I'm going to tell you that tonight. <laughs> it won't help at all, but it sounds funny. Here we go. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard, him, heard them. And suddenly... There was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed <clears throat> and the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep. You know, he wasn't supposed to be asleep. So he wakened out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open. He drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out of that dirty prison. He didn't do it in there and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Greatest question ever. Amen. And it's still the greatest question ever. Amen. I'm thankful that somebody taught me that. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And that is still the answer. Amen. Always will be the answer. 
And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized and he and all of his straightway. Heavenly Father, we sure do love you tonight. We're excited about what you're doing here at this wonderful church. We thank you for our college. We thank you for all of these uh, college students and young people that are here tonight. What a blessing it is to see young people that love the Lord. Uh, so many times the world thinks our young people have no uh, goals and no uh, uh, way, to, direction to go. And we know they do. If they know Jesus, they know where they're going. And I praise God for that. And I pray you'd bless us tonight as I endeavor to preach your word and encourage these folks to do what you want them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, this is an exciting story. I hope you do what I do. I start reading these kind of stories and I get right in the middle of them. I put myself in there. You know, uh, I've had people say, you know, the Bible's boring. They're not reading the Bible I'm reading. And nothing boring about this story if you actually believe this actually happened, and it did. So the Apostle Paul is in the city of Philippi in Silas, and they're going through the city, and they got this girl that's following after them, making fun of them. Now, be careful when you make fun of a preacher. You could get in trouble. All right, did you hear what I just said? Okay, so she's making fun of them and mocking them. And finally, Paul had all of it he could take. And so he turned around and cast a demon out of her because she was a fortune teller and she belonged to somebody. And so people were uh, paying to get uh, fortunes told. And so these people were making money off her. And I'm going to tell you, you want to make the heathen world mad mess with their money. And so they got very upset and they dragged Paul and Silas over to the magistrate and said, these guys are causing all kinds of trouble. So the magistrate took them and beat them. Now, aren't you glad they don't do that in our world, but they beat them and cast them into the inner prison. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've been uh, visiting. I'll make that word plain. I've visited in a lot of prisons. <laughs> By God's grace, I've never been in one for real, but I visited to them. And this prison wasn't anything like that. This was a hole way back in the mountainside or in the hillside, and uh, they were back there where there were critters. You know what I mean? Uh, they didn't have facilities. This was an awful, awful place. Now here's Paul and Silas, and they've been beaten, and they're thrown back here in this hole with all of these horrible things, and uh, had they been the average Baptist per, uh, person in our world today, including me, I've been whining and crying and asking God why he did that to me. Come on. That's what we would all do. We would say, God, this isn't fair. I've been serving you. Why am I in this hole? Well, you know, Paul and Silas didn't take it that way. I'm telling you right now, all the trials and tribulations we have in our life, the reason that they're so difficult for us is we don't take them the way God wants them to take them. You got to understand that uh, you can take them God's way if you choose to. I go into places all the time and people say to me, how you doing? I say, wonderful. I'm always doing wonderful. And they look at you like you're crazy. And I say, you know why I'm doing wonderful? Because I get to choose. Come on. I get to choose how I handle what's going on in my life. So I tell them, I just choose to be happy. I just choose to be blessed. Even when the bad things happen, I'm still blessed. It's all about how you take it. So Paul and Silas, uh, they took it like this. They're singing and praising God at midnight. Now what a attitude they had. 
They're singing and praising God. Now, here's what I want you to understand. If you do what God wants you to do as far as dealing with the consequences and the things of life, this is what will happen. God will step in and he may not always cause an earthquake, but he'll cause something. He'll stir up something. I love it to stir things up, don't you? I mean, just, I, I was in Walmart one day and uh, uh, about three people in front of me. Of course, you know, in Walmart, the rules are you have to stand in line behind 10 people or you can't get out. That's the rules. And uh, I was about three uh, people back and this girl was up there checking out and uh, she's crying. And this lady that's checking out didn't care. She zing, 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 zing. And finally, she just kept crying. Finally, I got out of line and walked up there and I said, honey, is there anything I can do to help you? And she started crying and telling me, I said, listen, you know what you need to do? You need Jesus as your Savior. And I led that woman to Christ right there in Walmart. Amen. You know what's amazing about that? The people behind me were yelling and screaming and telling me to get out of the way. They could have cared less about that girl. They could have cared less about anything else was going on. All they cared about was getting up there and checking out. So Walmart fixed that in our area. They don't have any checkers anymore. <laughs> now you got to check yourself. So if it takes you too long, it's your own fault. <laughs> but I'm telling you folks, it's all about how, and if you let yourself do what God wants you to do, God will do something. And in this case, he caused an earthquake. Now I don't know whether you've ever had any earthquakes in Oklahoma. We've had some in Texas, they call earthquakes and it's a real joke. My car makes more rumbling noise just driving down the street than those things. God caused an earthquake and all the doors of the prison broke open and the guard that was supposed to be watching was asleep and he woke up assuming that everybody was gone. So he pulls out his sword and he's going to kill himself. He's just going to save uh, the ruler's uh, time because that's what they were going to do to him, kill him if they got away. So he pulled out his sword to kill himself and here's one of the things that's so amazing to me. How did Paul know what was going on out there? He's in prison. And yet he cried out and said, do thyself no harm. We're all still here. Now here he is not only speaking for him and Silas, but he's speaking for all the rest of the prisoners too. Somehow during this time they're in prison, he had been ministering to those other inmates and they knew who he was and they'd figured out God was on his side. And so he said, do thyself no harm. And this guy was so convicted that he went in and got Paul and Silas and brought them out and fell in front of him and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I remember the day I got saved. I didn't put it exactly like that, but that's what I meant. And I'm telling you, it's a wonderful thing to know how to tell people to get saved. I was up early one Sunday morning. I was watching one of these uh, religious programs and it was a, a question and answer time. They had 12 gurus sitting around the table and uh, they would, people would write in and give them questions. And so this day's question was this, how do you go to heaven? Now there's 12 guys. Well, actually there was 11 guys and one woman and they were all preachers and pastors and doctors of all of this other stuff. And here's what they said. One by one, they said, well, we're not sure, but I'm not, I, I don't know for sure how you go to heaven. And every one of them made some kind of dumb statement like that. And I wanted to jump in that television and say, I know, I know how to go to heaven. Amen. And so do you. So tell somebody. I was uh, refinancing our church 
See, when I got ready to retire, I wanted our church to look good and be way in debt because <laughs> I knew I wouldn't have to pay it. <laughs> that last part's a joke. But uh, I went down to redo our loan because we was going to get a lot better interest rate and cut the payments down and all that. So I uh, was in there talking to this lady uh, and the, we were doing the final thing and she said, now let me ask you these questions. She said, how many uh, masses do you have every week? <laughs> now I didn't mind telling you what she was. I knew what she was as soon as she said that. She wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> and so I said, ma'am, we don't have masses. We have church services. And she said, well, what do you do at these church services? I said, I tell people how to go to heaven. And she had this amazed look on her face and she said, you know how to do that? I said, boy, I do. Can I tell you? She said, would you? Now here's the vice president of the bank, gets up and shuts her door and locks it and sits down and says, tell me. So I started telling her, and you know, you got to undo a lot of stuff for these people before you can actually start doing stuff, right? And so I talked to her for about 25 minutes, maybe more. And finally she said, man, you give me so much to think about. I said, listen, before you say you're going to wait, is there something inside of you telling you that you better do what he says? And she said, yeah, how'd you know that? I said, it's the Holy Spirit. And he's telling you, you need to get saved right now. She said, I can do that right now. I said, right now. So she did. Come on, folks. People are waiting to hear somebody tell them how to go to heaven. Sirs, what must I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's still the answer. Always will be the answer. Hallelujah. I was preaching and reading through this one time and thinking about this passage of Scripture. And here's what I thought. Now, y'all forgive me if I think this, but I thought to myself, what would make guys act like this? What would make Paul and Silas act like this? I thought if I could capture that, I could turn this world upside down by myself. Come on, you ever thought about what that, what would make a guy do that? Well, I was, uh, I kind of laid it aside and I was reading through my Bible and praying and asking God to help me get a hold of this. And I finally ended up at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and I found out why they did this. So I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and I'm going to show you. Now, I'm going to do it as fast as I can, but there's four things in here I believe motivated Paul. And if there's one thing we need with a bunch of Baptists, it's your motivation. Amen. We need somebody to crank us up. I mean, get us going because we fall by the wayside. Our football team didn't win. Amen. My stocks didn't go up. I don't have any of those, so that doesn't bother me any. But something is going to sidetrack us. We get sidetracked easier than anybody on the world. But we have the greatest goal in the world and we get sidetracked. So what we need to do is every once in a while, we just get to be reminded of what ought to motivate us. So 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, I'm not going to take time to read it all. I'm just going to pick out the verses. Number one, and I put them in this order for myself, just because it's going to be more fun to preach it. So number one is found in verse number 14. The apostle Paul said, for the love of Christ constraineth us, motivates us, moves us. 
And I'm going to tell you what ought to move us tonight is our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved us. We're supposed to love him. And I get amazed at how many people don't understand what that means. I'm talking about a, an emotional attachment to Jesus. I'm talking about I love him. <laughs> Woo. I'm telling you, if some of you loved your wife or husband like you love Jesus, you wouldn't be married long. Amen. I love Jesus as long as it's convenient. I love Jesus as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Now, I've been married 50 years, and I'm telling you, it costs you something to be married. Amen. It costs commitment. My wife and I got married. We said, I do, and we said, we always will, and we always have. It's a commitment. The love of Christ is supposed to constrain us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The Bible says we were all dead. Jesus Christ saved us and we're supposed to love him. Amen. Now love causes us to do some strange things. Come on. Right, especially around here, you see all these young people as they pair up. <laughs> Man, that's exciting stuff to me. I love that. I remember when my granddaughter got married just to last, I don't know how long ago it was, but anyway, she got married. And I asked her, I said, do you love that guy? She said, yes, Papa, I love him. I said, how do you know? And she looked at me like, what? <laughs> how do you know you love the person that you're married to? Because you're willing to do whatever they need. That's how you know Jesus and you love Jesus. Because you're willing to do. My wife and I have uh, had such a great relationship. I, 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 people don't even believe how much fun we have. But back when I was uh, early in my ministry there in Louisville, uh, we worked many, many hours. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. You have a different mentality when you're the music director and the youth pastor and everything. The janitor and you're everything. You have to spend some time. And so my wife and I knew that our marriage was very important. So we decided that every Saturday morning from the time we got up, whatever time it was, until one o'clock in the afternoon, we were going to do something together. We're going to spend time together. And uh, so we did. Every Saturday we'd get up and I'd say, okay, honey, what do you want to do? Well, we always went to breakfast. And we've been doing that now for a long, long time. Uh, that's why I'm so fat. We eat breakfast every day <laughs> together. And then after we'd eat breakfast, I'd say, what do you want to do? And about half the time, she'd say, let's go garage selling. Any of you ever did that, guys? It's awesome. I'd rather go pick pecans than to go garage selling. But I'd do it because I love my wife. And we'd drive over to these garage sales and we'd pull up there and these people had a whole yard or a garage or whatever it was. And it'd be full of junk. And I would always say to my wife, honey, if they don't want this stuff, why do I want it? And we'd go over there and they'd have these big old long tables and they'd be piled full of uh, different junk. And my wife's going, oh, give me a break. I'll give you $5 for the whole table and we'll go home and sort it out. <laughs> Drove me crazy. And then she'd finally find something and it would be a dollar, and she'd say, I'll give you 50 cents. 
I'd say, honey, come on, I got a dollar. Just give it to me, let's go. And she'd inevitably say to me, you just don't get this, do you? And I'll be honest, I never did. But you know why I did that stuff? Because I love her. And I wanted to make her happy. I'm telling you, folks, oh, how I love Jesus is not working for a lot of fundamental Baptists. They sing it, but they don't really mean it. That's what motivated Paul. The love of Christ constraineth me. And you know, if you really want to have fun, I don't have time to do this tonight, but you ought to go and check through your Bible and what love for Jesus looks like in the Bible. If you love Jesus, you're a tremendous giver. If you love Jesus, you keep his commandments. And you go ahead and check it out and see all the things that God says about that. You see, the love of Christ is supposed to constrain us. Let me give you the second one. It's found in verse number 10. He said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Second thing that motivated Paul is one of these days we're going to have a judgment time. And it's not going to be a judgment of sin. And when he says he's going to judge whether it's bad or good, he's not talking about bad in the sense of being sinful because there's no unsaved people here. And I got good news for you. You may not understand this, but if you've been born again, if you've been washed in the blood tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ took all your sin, all your sin, and he buried him in the deepest sea, never to remember them anymore. Amen. Glory to the name of the Lord. I'm so glad my sins are gone. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about getting rewards for the work that you've done in this body. So what does that mean, preacher? It means you got to get up and go do something. People think because they show up at church, they're serving God. I challenge you, go into a restaurant and you got a server over there and they're sitting over there waving at you and they never come to your table. Are they serving you? No, they're not going to get tipped either, by the way. We have a whole new thing going on in our world today, especially down in our area. They can't get anybody to work. They got signs on the door. Be patient with us. We only have half staff. You go into a restaurant and they'll say a bit of 25 minute wait. I'll look over there, there'll be 15 tables empty. You say, what am I waiting for? Somebody come wait on you, that's what you're waiting on. And yet we have people that show up at church on Sunday morning and think they're serving God. Exactly what are you doing? How are you serving him? What are you doing to serve him? I'm telling you all to find something to serve the Lord. There's plenty of opportunities in this church to serve the Lord. You can sing if you can sing. I wish I could sing. I hate preachers that can sing. I do. My son is a fabulous singer, a fabulous preacher, a great pastor. I hate him. I got a friend of mine, Eric Crawford. He just drives me crazy. Now, the only thing I can do to him, and I do, but I'm going to tell you what he is. But anyway, he'll get up there and he'll preach this awesome message, and then he'll sing the conclusion. I just want to jump up and smack him. But some of you out there can sing and you don't use it. I pray God would take it away from you and give it to me. <laughs> if you can sing, you ought to sing. 
Well, they won't sing the kind of songs I want. You know what that problem is? I tell you, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was up in Mishawaka, Indiana, and they were candidating a pastor. And the last pastor had this big old problem with all the people about what women ought to wear. And I'm not going to get into that. That's your problem. And uh, uh, the big, big issue was going on. And so they had a new candidate. And the first rattle out of the box, they had a question answer time. And I thought this ought to be exciting because they were so divided they couldn't even know what they were supposed to ask. And this one of the ladies in the back stood up and said, we'd like to know what you believe about what ladies are supposed to wear. And I thought, here we go. <laughs> this candidate was so smart, he said, Madam, your problem's not with what women ought to wear. Your problem is with pastoral authority. So, whoa, hallelujah. <laughs> Didn't take her long to sit down. <laughs> Amen. Serving the Lord, you ought to do something. I was, uh, I told my church one time, just go do something. I said, I'll tell you what you do. Just get you a bunch of tracks and go stick them in on the coats and the jackets in Walmart. Stick a track in there. And I didn't really think they'd do it. So they did. They stuck them in every jacket in Walmart. <laughs> I got the manager of Walmart called me. I didn't think they would be so un misunderstanding that they would put, I started to say dumb, but put a track in the coat that had our name on it. But they did. Now it was a bad day for my associate that day because he had to go apologize and go pick them all up. But at least they did something. When's the last time you passed out a track? How hard is that? I got this thing I do now. I have to wait until I'm in charge. I don't get to do it when I'm out eating with somebody else that's paying the bill. <laughs> okay. But if I'm with myself or with somebody when I'm paying the bill, The waiter will come over to me and I'll say, say, we're about to have prayer. You got anything I pray with you about? And they all look at you like you lost your mind. They say, well, uh, I, I, no, I guess everything's okay. I said, well, would you just like to pray with us? Uh, I'm a Mormon. I said, Mormons pray. <laughs> so finally, I've, some of them I can't, but some of them I talk into praying with us. Well, guess what I pray? Oh, God, help this guy. I know Jesus loves him. And I'd just pray the plan of salvation to him. I'll tell you, that, that cost me $100 one night. Because this lady got saved, and then she started telling me all her problems, and God made me give her $100 to help her. <laughs> just do something. Stop acting like you're serving God when you're not doing anything but showing up on Sunday. Now, please don't misunderstand. You coming to church is just like giving. I don't care what motivated you come. I'm glad you came. But it's not going to help you if you don't serve God. All right, number three. Look at verse number 11. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, I'm going to tell you something tonight, and you really need to grab a hold of this. People are dying and going to hell. And we don't hear anybody preach about this much anymore, but I'm telling you, hell is as real as the pew you're sitting in. 
and people are dropping off into a devil's hell by the thousands and millions all day long. And I know you just got a missionary to Sri Lanka. You know how many people over there died today and went to hell? I have no question, but I guarantee you there was many. And I, I try to give, and so I, but let me tell you something. God is no respecter of persons. And when you're talking about getting saved, I am so glad of that. Because if you had to be somebody or do something to get saved, I wouldn't be saved. I've had people say, well, preacher, uh, what do you think about slavery? I'm telling you the most exciting thing in my life is that they did away with slavery. And it's not because I care about those. I know that if we had slavery, my dad had sold me and I'd be a slave right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, God is no respecter of persons and he's no respecter of persons when he's talking about going to hell either. If you're not saved, if you're not born again, you're going to go to hell. And it doesn't matter whether it's your mom or my mom or your dad or my dad, your children or my children. It does not matter who it is. I'm amazed at how many moms and dads have lost children and they say to themselves, somehow God's going to give them an exemption. He's not. When I got saved, the first thing I cared about was my family. I'd never cared about anybody in my life but me. All of a sudden, the day I got saved, I said, you know, I got some family need to hear this. I went over to my brother's house who pastors in Bridgeport, Texas now. And uh, he cussed me out and made me leave. So I just cussed him out of the back. <laughs> hey, listen, I'd only been saved 30 minutes. <laughs> I didn't know. So I went over to his twin brother that just passed away and uh, I talked to him. I said, listen, I found what we've been looking for. Come to church with me. He was a lot nicer about it, but he basically ran me off. I went back to my preacher and I said, pastor, this is horrible. Why don't they want what I've got? He said, well, just pray about it. That's what he always said. I hated that. I want some action. So I prayed about it for a while and I said, Pastor, here's what I need. I need you to teach me how to lead somebody to Christ. Now, I don't know whether you know Bert Homer or not or did or not. His family doesn't matter. They were connected to this church and he was the best soul winner I ever went with. Every time we went somebody, he'd win somebody to Christ. So he showed me how to win somebody to the Lord. So I got my three nephews in my Corvette, drove them down to the Dairy Queen and I led all three of them to Christ. And so I told them, I said, boys, I'm coming to get you in the morning and I'm going to take you and get you baptized. And they said, what do we tell mom and dad? I said, nothing. <laughs> I said, I got a key to the house. I'll come and get you. <laughs> so I went over there on Sunday morning. I got them up, got them ready, brought them to church. They, just, they were still asleep. And the preacher said, I said, I need to get these boys baptized. They got saved this week. And he said, did you get your parent, their parents' permission? I just didn't answer. We just stood there for a moment and he just, I guess he forgot the question and he just went on. <laughs> I took them back home after they got baptized and my brother was about as mad as anybody you'd ever see. But you know what? I didn't care. What's he going to do? 
He can't get rid of me. I'm blood. <laughs> so I told his wife, I said, uh, why don't you let me come get the boys and take them to church and y'all can have Sunday morning. You can go do whatever you want. I'll bring them back about 12, 31 o'clock and you can just have a good time. She said, that's a good idea. <laughs> so I took the boys to church and we went a few times and the oldest one said, uh, how do we get my mom and dad to get saved? Amen. So here's what you do, boys. Just be the best obedient children you can be. Every time your mom says do something, jump up and say, yes, ma'am, and go do it right then. And I said, you become the kind of kids you know God wants you to become, and you watch and see what God does. So they started doing that. And I don't remember the time frame, but it wasn't very long after they started doing that, their mom showed up at church. See, I came down here to see what you're doing to my sons. I said, stick around for church and you'll find out. Man, I'm telling you, my preacher got up and preached and she ran down the aisle and got saved. <laughs> it was so awesome. And my sister-in-law, who I loved dearly, I said, now you got to get your husband to come. And she said, and I can almost quote this, don't you worry, he'll be here. <laughs> now my sister-in-law was one of the best persons of nagging somebody into doing something you ever met. Took her about three weeks. But about three weeks, my brother shows up on Sunday morning. And boy, by then the whole family was there. And we put him, we was on the second row, and we put him on the outside. Now listen, when you bring somebody on friend day to get saved, don't stick him in the middle. Stick him on the outside so he can get out. And so we stuck him on the outside. Boy, the preacher preached this awesome message that morning. And so I just knew he was going to go get saved. And so we all just went out the other way and went down to the altar and prayed for him. Just left him standing there. <laughs> he was so mad. I can't tell you how mad he was. We had three doors like this. And the preacher and I standing on this door. And he went out this door over here. And he yelled at us, you guys made me feel terrible. <laughs> I said to the preacher, I said, that's good. Isn't it? And he said, that's good. <laughs> That night he came back. So we did the whole thing again. He still didn't get saved. I couldn't believe he didn't get saved. So he walked out this time and took the preacher by the hand. And he said, I got one question to ask you, and if you can answer it, I'll get saved. I thought, well, this is cool because my preacher can answer anything. So here's what my brother asked. Can God make a rock so big he can't pick it up? And I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> I thought, what is the preacher going to say? He said, son, my God's not that stupid. <laughs> I thought, what an answer. What an answer. So what happened? Well, he got saved. <laughs> Listen, folks, I cared about my family. First time I got up to preach, my mom got saved. Took us 18 or 19 years inviting my stepdad to come to church one day on Friend Day. He showed up. And I remember my wife and I praying for him at the altar before church started. And that day when the invitation came, he came forward and got saved. Do you care about your family? They are going to go to heaven or hell. And it ought to motivate us. Now, let me give you the last one. I'm way over time already. Listen to this. Look at verse 4. This is my favorite one, although it's not near as powerful. But look at verse 17. 
He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. You know, one of the things that's always motivated me probably the most, and that's to see what God does in people's lives. How God changes people. I love it. I was out knocking on doors, and I met this young man. And I walked up there and started talking to him, and he was about mm, 24, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I began to talk to him about the Lord. And he said, listen, I only have one goal in my life, and that's to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. I said, well, that's cool. And he said, I'm over halfway there already. I said, well, good. So I let him do me all his proud stuff and all that, you know, just let him talk. Finally, I got ready to leave. I said, well, I got to go, but I got one thing I want to tell you before I leave. The Bible says if a man gained the whole world and lose his own soul, he's lost. And I handed him a track. I said, and you're lost, son. Come to church. Sunday, he showed up. Most amazing thing, guess what I was preaching on that day? That verse. Isn't God great? Man, I got up and preached that verse. Down the aisle he came. His wife's right behind him. I led both of them to Christ. Well, actually, my wife led the lady to Lila. Anyway, we led them to Christ. And Monday, after I baptized him Sunday night, he's in my office. Monday morning, 8 o'clock. I said, uh, what's up, buddy? He said, I want to come see what preachers do. I said, well, don't you have to go to work? He said, no, I own the country company. I don't have to do anything. Every time I turned around, that boy was in my hip pocket. I said, well, I'm going to make some hospital calls. You want to go? Yes, sir, I want to go. Wow. He went with me everywhere for about three months. And my wife said, you know what's going to happen, don't you? I said, yeah, I know what's going to happen. God's going to call him to preach. And then he asked me that wonderful question. He came into my office one day and he said, preacher, how do you know if God's called you to preach? And I gave him the answer Bert Homer gave me. If you ask that question, he's already called you. <laughs> I hated that answer. But I just thought I'd pass it on. He said, well, what do I do? I said, go down to the altar in the auditorium and tell him you'll do it. He said, would you go with me? I said, you don't need me. Just go tell him. Well, he went off to Bible college, pastor of church. It's exciting to watch God do stuff in people's lives. I'm going to give you one more story and then I'm going to quit because it's already past seven. Is seven, does it matter in seven? Okay, good. I'm glad it doesn't matter. I was knocking on doors when I pastored up in Indiana. I was parking, I was knocking on doors in the mobile home park. Can you figure out why they call them mobile homes? They don't take them anywhere. They're not mobile at all. And I've just come to the conclusion by watching the news that God hates them. Because every time a tornado comes, it gets the mobile homes. So. <laughs> That's a joke, y'all. I've lived in many of them. I'm just kidding. But I was knocking on doors at this mobile home park, and I knocked on this door in this guy. And I, you'll find out in a minute why I know this. He was six foot eight, 320 pounds. He came to the door. He hadn't had a haircut or a shave in who knows how long. Hadn't had a bath in months. So how you know? You know. <laughs> and I told him, I said, sir, I came by here to tell you about Jesus. 
He said, get off my porch or I'm going to kill you. But he used the world's words that I would not repeat. Hey, listen, I believed him. I'm making notes and I wrote his address down and <laughs> don't go back and talk to him no more. I was walking out of the driveway and his wife pulls in. I'm trying to go away. And she said, who are you? And I told her, where do you pastor? And I told her, and she said, is it all right if I come? I wanted so bad to say no. <laughs> but I didn't. Listen, I thought anybody that would marry that guy. Sunday morning, she showed up. I couldn't believe it. She got saved Sunday morning. And we were going to baptize her Sunday night. And she said, can I bring my husband to the baptism? I said, uh, okay. I thought he's going to come. And we had metal chairs. And I figured he'd just beat me to death one of them. <laughs> Fortunately, that night when I baptized her, he didn't come. And let me just tell you how glad I was. Say, preacher, that's not very spiritual. I know. So I got ready to leave and, you know, preachers are so trained to shake hands at the door. I even do it at Walmart. <laughs> I just can't help yourself. You just, if there's a crowd walking out, you got to shake their hand. People look at you kind of weird. So I'm shaking her hand and she grabs a hold of my hand, won't turn loose. You've had people do that? And she just wouldn't turn loose. And she said, preacher, won't you please come out tomorrow night and talk to my husband? And what he told me was going through my brain. And I was just about to say, no how, no way am I doing that. And my lovely wife standing behind me and she said, and I quote, where is the spirit of Elijah? I said, you do know Elijah's dead, right? I found myself telling this lady, okay, I'll be there tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And I told my wife, you got me into this, so you're going. At least you can call an ambulance or whatever we have to do to get out of there alive. So we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. You'll pray when you get in this kind of place. And finally got time to go to, out there to visit them at 7 o'clock. I walk up to the door and I knock on the door. Oh, they're not here. <laughs> But somehow he knew I was there and he yanked that door open. And there this gigantic guy stands. And I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do now? And he said, won't you please come in and tell me how to go to heaven? I need to go to heaven. <laughs> now you're brave. Come on. So I go in there and I lead this gigantic dude to Christ. And I said to him, now if you really meant that, You'll be at church on Sunday. <laughs> you get brave once you get saved. He's not going to hurt you now. Sure enough, he showed up at church on Sunday. But I'm going to tell you this. Had he not been with his wife, I wouldn't have recognized him because he went and got a haircut, shaved, had a suit on. <laughs> I'm telling you, when God does that kind of stuff, it just makes you want to shout. You know what it makes you want to do? Go find somebody else. It motivates you to do what God tells you to do. And from that time forward, he was my bodyguard. He went with me everywhere I went. I remember one night I'm up there preaching 
And this guy that I had made mad somehow, didn't know, know how, yanked the back doors open, said, where's that preacher? Well, I was up there preaching. <laughs> he said, I got a bone to pick with him. This gigantic guy grabbed him and threw him out the back door. <laughs> now, what was that bone you had there, buddy? <laughs> it was a wonderful thing to watch what God did. And I can tell you, listen, I can tell you, God has blessed me beyond measure. I have 61 people that God called out of Liberty Baptist Church into the ministry. And I can tell you 61 stories, just like the ones I just told you. Is it worth it? Oh, man. I had one of my boys call me to death this afternoon. And he said, Preacher, I really need your help. I said, what's the matter? He told me. He said, I need you to pray with me. So what'd you do, preacher? Well, I prayed with him. What else would you do? And then he said, Ooh, I sure do love you, preacher. Does that not motivate you? It motivates my socks off. I wanted to go find me somebody this afternoon. Now listen, folks. If we're going to get something done for Christ, we've got to have the right motivation. It's not about being seen by other people. It's not about what the preacher wants you to do. It's about what God wants you to do. And how you can get motivated to do it. And the only way you're going to get motivated to do it is choose to be motivated to do it. I'm telling you, God is so awesome. He lets us choose. But He expects you to choose. He wants you to choose. He speaks to your heart about choosing. Now, let me just tell you this. I promise you that if you bring somebody to church on friend day, they will get the gospel. And they may not get saved, but they will have a chance to get saved. And they will hear what they need to hear. And I can give, I have seven people that I know personally, not counting me, I'd be number eight, that got saved the first time they heard it. First time. Does anybody in here not know somebody they could bring? Say, well, what if they don't come? Buy them lunch. Fill their car up with gas. Give them money. So that's not the right motivation. Just get them here. Because they'll get the gospel. Some of them will get saved. And then later, some of them will get saved. I'm going to tell you one more story. I had a, I got millions of them. I have, we had a New Year's Eve service. And uh, in the middle of the New Year's Eve service, we go back and we eat and play games and then we come back and pray in the New Year. We did that for a long time. And uh, New Year's Eve, we had two boys come in and sit down on the back pew and they had hoodies on. Now, please don't think I'm prejudiced against hoodies, but those things make me nervous. They're sitting back there in church with the hoodies on with their head down. Now, my son-in-law, who was not the one that's going to preach here, my other son-in-law was on staff, and he's my bodyguard. And he, yes, carries a gun. And I whispered to him, I said, you see those boys? I said, watch them. I didn't know what they was there for. So I got out my preach to them, and I said, now we're going to go back and eat. And they went back there with us. I was very shocked. But they didn't sit over there with us. They went over there by themselves. 
So finally, I had enough of this. So I went over there and I sat down by him. I said, hey, guys, what's up? And this one took his hoodie down and he said, I'm in a mess. He said, and I used to ride your Sunday school bus when I was a kid. And I knew you'd have an answer for me. <laughs> if people don't get saved when you give them the gospel first, God may bring them around a second time. So his friend said, I don't know what he's talking about. I just want to get saved. <laughs> so I led both of them to Christ. I baptized them. Oh, listen to me, folks. God does that stuff all the time. You just got to let him. Now, I want you to think about this. I know that everybody in here can do what God wants them to do or he wouldn't ask you to do it. He never asked me to do anything. That first I thought I could, and secondly, he didn't give me the ability to do. And he'll do the same for you. I want you to bow your heads with me tonight. And I'm going to just ask you this question. What is it that motivates you? What caused you to come to church tonight? What causes you to do what you do for the Lord? Oh, listen to me, folks. People need Jesus. And I think if Paul and Silas could do what they did, we could do something for the Lord. Now, there may be an opportunity tonight for you to get saved. Perhaps you wanted to come forward this morning and didn't. Perhaps you've never been saved and you want to get saved. We had some saved this morning. It was pretty awesome. Hope you never get tired of that stuff. But if you're not saved here tonight, God is no respecter of persons. And if you stop breathing right now, you're going to wake up in hell. You say, you ought not scare people. If I can scare people out of hell, I'll scare them. It's a scary thing. The church member, go get your family. Bring them to friend day. Let them hear the gospel. Pray for them. It's very important. Heavenly Father, bow before you tonight. Oh, how we need you. We need to be motivated by the right thing to do what God would have us do. Lord, I've never been sorry that I gave the gospel to anybody. Even the ones that got mad at me, I'm not sorry I gave it to them. Because I have no idea what you did with it later. So Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts? I know, I know you laid this message on my heart because somebody in this room needed it. Somebody needs to be encouraged to get back in the fight. Get back in the motivated time to do what you want them to do. Because Heavenly Father, we love you. And that ought to motivate us to do it. We love you. We know that we're going to give an account for what we do in this body. And we know hell is real. And Lord, there are some people in this room, very room tonight, that you want to change their life and make something different out of them. Lord, would you, would you just speak to us? We need to hear from heaven tonight. And so I'm asking you, speak to hearts and then help us respond. In Jesus' name, amen.